Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here on social media with our weekly update. Thanks for joining us. A busy week. A lot to follow up on in terms of a major revelation by Judicial Watch last week of those wiped phones. Plus, we have a new FOIA investigation targeting cancel culture. And we have new documents on Joe Biden and Burisma showing the Obama State Department had a little bit of an issue with them. So uh, a lot to talk about. Uh, but first up, I want to talk about the uh, uh, the issue of elections, uh, voter fraud, mail-in ballots, all the rest. Now, as you know, Judicial Watch has been a leader in trying to uphold the rule of law when it comes to clean elections. Uh, in 2012, uh, we began uh, suing states to clean up their roles in Ohio and Indiana specifically. Indiana changed the law. Ohio settled with us and agreed to start following the law. And the left went crazy, and they uh, actually tried to undo our settlement, and the Supreme Court upheld that settlement recently in 2018 uh, to make sure that the, the states are taking reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. And that led in part to a settlement with Los Angeles County in California uh, that Judicial Watch uh, signed on to that uh, requires uh, LA County to begin a process that could remove up to 1.6 million extra names from the rolls. And uh, just this year, we've sued North Carolina and Pennsylvania and counties in each of those states over their failures to clean up the rolls. And between those two states alone, we found up to, um, it's almost, uh, one, it's a little over 1.8 million, nearly 2 million names on the rolls that uh, probably shouldn't be there. And in those cases, we are fighting not only the states, but left-wing interest groups that are seeking to intervene to battle us. So Judicial Watch not only has to do the heavy lifting in court against big government, uh, but the big left as well. And uh, so our lawyers have been working hard on that. And in the meantime, we've been pushing to educate the American people about the threat of uh, mail-in ballot uh, uh, overreach, I think it's fair to say, to clean elections. Uh, right now, uh, and I, I checked the numbers before I came on, 51 million ballots will be mailed to people who haven't asked for them. 51 million ballots. On top of that, 44 million ballot applications will be mailed uh, to people who haven't asked for them. Now that's a big difference, uh, as the president has denoted, from people asking for a ballot or asking for a ballot application through the absentee ballot process. As it is, the absentee ballot process is too, is too generous. It's too easy to vote by mail. Why is that a concern? Well, vote by mail is notoriously susceptible to fraud. How is that the case? Well, I mean, just common sense. If you're not voting at a polling location where you have government officials and the rule of law protecting you and making sure, uh, or at least trying to make sure within reason, 
uh, nothing uh, improper goes on. And of course, you know, uh, they can have uh, party observers and candidate observers at the polls and citizens observers at the polls, depending on the states. So it's not a perfect process, certainly not in states without a voter ID, but it certainly guards against increased, uh, against um, uh, voter fraud. Now, but when you, start when you start mailing ballots to lists that you know are dirty, as Judicial Watch has uh, found out, we did a 2019 study that showed two and a half million extra names on the rolls, two and a half million names on the rolls nationally that shouldn't be there you've got a major problem. Because whether or not they're inactive or not, or don't get specifically get ballots or will be targeted with ballots, when you've got lists that are dirty, meaning there are names that are old and shouldn't be there, it means the rest of the quote active list is probably dirty as well. And certainly just to mail a ballot blindly is irresponsible anyway. I don't, I don't care if you think your list is 100% clean. This is the franchise we're talking about. For instance, think of how mobile the population is. People move all the time, they go in and out. And, uh, and so the ballot list may be clean today, but won't be clean tomorrow. That's why voting in person is the best way to deal with, uh, to, to, to conduct elections. On top of that, um, you have more opportunities for voter fraud when the ballots are uh, voted on outside the polling place. You have more opportunities for vote buying schemes when the ballots are voted on outside the polling place. And they're harder to detect. You know, it takes, a, it takes some gumption to go and vote in person in a fraudulent way. But behind closed doors, who knows what's going on? I mean, you've all heard, uh, uh, stories about multiple uh, violations of law related to ballot fraud, uh, where uh, I think in Texas someone was arrested or pursued uh, for hundreds of either ballots or ballot applications. I don't remember the specifics, but the point is that only that sort of process, that only that sort of fraud, really only can take place in a mail-in ballot system. So uh, the left is, as I said. Uh, uh, kind of escalated it in such a way as to, in my view, break the system. As I said, nearly 100 million ballots and ballot applications will be mailed to people who uh, haven't asked for them. Uh, in 2018, excuse me, in this year alone, in the primary season, 554,000 ballots mailed, uh, excuse me, mailed in ballots were thrown out. That compares with 316 or 319,000 ballots that were thrown out in the general election in 2018, excuse me, 2016. So you had the general election in 2016, 319,000 ballots. 550,000 ballots were thrown out in the primary season this year. So imagine that number of ballots uh, similarly uh, in November. We're talking potentially millions of ballots could be thrown out. In New Jersey, there was an 8% rejection rate, 10% rejection rate in New York. I don't know if it held up over time, but initial reports were there was a 25% rejection rate. 
let's say it's a 3% rejection rate. Let's say it's a 2% rejection rate. You're talking millions of ballots potentially given the, the big push for mail-in ballots. And of course the left recognizes that because now they're trying to change the rules, not to make sure that uh, people vote in person rather than relying on re unreliable ballots, is they're going to court to get friendly courts to change the rules. And that just happened in two courts this week, state courts. Uh, well, I don't know if the Michigan court was a state court. I didn't look at that case that closely. But in Pennsylvania, there's a state Supreme Court ruling that um, changed the ballot deadline from election day to three days after election day. And by the way, it doesn't matter if there's a postmark or not. You heard it right. There's no, it doesn't have to be a postmark. So how is it they know whether there's the ballot was mailed on time? You really can't to know. The court said, unless there's preponderance of the evidence, which generally means, I guess, you know, 51% of the evidence, practically speaking. Obviously, that makes it difficult to challenge these ballots if they just show up in two days without a postmark. So just think of this scenario. Pennsylvania is uh, dead heat. Let's say it's a 2,000 vote chain difference on election night between Biden and Trump. And let's be fair, I'm not going to tell you who's winning or losing. And so what, is, what can happen? You can have political operatives gin up 2,000 ballots and, and have them show up in a ballot location or a polling location to cover the gap. And there's really no effective way to challenge those ballots. Now, of course, the ballots can be challenged, but you can see the difficulty and the challenge that will br uh, bring to the process. So don't you want to guard against that? You know, and I often say, you know, the left wants to be able to steal elections. That's what's their pro. That's I don't know how else to explain it. In Michigan, they the court, uh, uh, one court judge changed the rules to allow them to count ballots 14 days after the election and mandated ballot harvesting. And what is ballot harvesting? It, it basically means anybody can take anyone's ballot and bring it to the polling place. Again, more opportunity. Uh, it's, it's the very, uh, it, it's, it, it almost guarantees voter fraud and ballot and voter intimidation. It almost guarantees that will take place. And of course, that's the rule of law in California as well. So we're facing a big crisis. I'm disappointed the Justice Department hasn't done much about it. Um, certainly on election integrity, we've been virtually alone uh, in fighting for uh, basically cleaner election rolls. And uh, the Justice Department's been AWOL largely. Uh, they helped us in Kentucky where we did get a consent decree that's going to lead to a quarter million ballots being, um, uh, excuse me, a quarter million names being cleaned off the rolls, it looks like. So that's the, uh, you know, that's the scenario we face where the, the left has hundred, I, I, I think the last number I checked was 175 lawsuits to undermine election integrity. And as I said, the left wants to be able to steal election. I don't know how else to describe it. If someone shows up at a bank 
and starts um, spraying black paint over all the cameras, you know, to me, that's a pretty good indication they're up to no good, don't you think? And that's what the left is doing with election integrity measures. They want to eliminate voter ID. They want to make it easier to vote by fraudulently vote and to be able to capture and catch fraudulent votes in the mail-in ballot process. They want to swamp the mails with ballots that are uh, to dirt the list they know are dirty. They want to eliminate security requirements related to voter uh, vote by mail. Some states and jurisdictions require uh, that A, you need an excuse, they don't like that, or B, you need a witness to test to say, hey, this is the person signing the ballot. And then, of course, some of the states have signature checks. They don't like that either. There's not a rule to secure the election that they are satisfied with. And of course, they are, as I said, opposing our efforts to make sure the rolls are clean. So we're facing chaos on election day. Now, is it possible there be a, there's the, that one side will swamp the other and the, the, the questions about ballot or election integrity will kind of fall aside because the victory is so clear cut? I don't know, maybe. Maybe there'll be a Republican wave. Maybe there'll be a Democrat wave, I don't know. But I do know what the left is preparing for. They're preparing for chaos. They've hired hundreds of lawyers, and I'm sure the Republicans have hundreds of lawyers on tap or ready to go. But they're also, and, and, and uh, we've explained this on our internet site, we're issuing a new report explaining it as well. They are preparing for violence. They are preparing for violence. I've told you before about this transition integrity project, this left-wing project that war-gamed out election battles in the courts and elsewhere. And in that, in that election integrity war game scenario, you had John Bedesta, who's a, a kind of like a go-to guy on the Democratic left. He's close to Hillary Clinton and you know, he's kind of like one of the old gray beards right now here in Washington, D.C. And he was playing Joe Biden this, in this war game. And part of the war gaming was that you would have states um, threaten secession uh, over uh, to make sure the electoral slates, college elect the electoral college uh, electors, that their slates were um, counted by the Congress. So. The goal would be, let's say, uh, this is the way it would work. If there's a dispute uh, over electoral college votes, it goes to Congress. And it's Congress that's ultimately uh, uh, designates uh, the president and vice president or certifies the results. But there can be challenges to particular results in particular slates. And the Biden war game was that you had states threaten to secede from the union in order to get the slates, presumably pro-Biden slates, counted. So that's, that's, I was talking to a reporter today and I said, the left is threatening civil war. And he's like, what? And, and this is what I mean. And it's all about pressuring the president to uh, leave office even if he wins which of course is just par for the course with the coosters, as I call them, the coup cabal that's been running the establishment here in Washington, D.C. since the presidents, since before the presidents come to town. 
you had a threatening letter sent to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff by Democrats, basically saying, what are you going to do if President Trump refuses to leave office? And the inverse of that is obviously is you need to forcibly remove the president if there's a reelection dispute. And then of course you have the Antifa, the violent left. And if you read the left wing sites like the New York Times, for instance, they talk about violence and demonstrations and revolution and, and such if uh, President Trump is seen to have won. And of course, they're, they're kind of trying to game the system as well. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk about this close to the election without being censored by big tech censorship, by Google or Twitter or YouTube or Instagram or Facebook. They're all, they're all coordinating, it looks like, to suppress any questions about vote by mail any questions about the legitimacy of uh, elections or votes? I mean, they are planning, how is it we suppress outrage if it looks like President Trump wins on election night and somehow they find the votes because they're counting and counting and counting and counting days and days and weeks and weeks later and changes the outcome of the result on election night. They call it the red mirage. And they don't want anyone to be able to talk about that in any serious way on online. I mean, they're planning on it. I always forget the name of the head of Facebook. Was it Zuckerberg? Shows you how much I'm with it, right? But he was talking about, well, you know, we should just prepare people. It's perfectly reasonable if we don't know who won for weeks and weeks and weeks. No, it isn't reasonable. No, it isn't reasonable. They're mailing ballots to people who probably aren't there. They don't have security measures in place to make sure that people who are voting by mail are actually the, are eligible to vote. And the counting rules, the way the left works is that if they don't like the way the count is going, they change the rules until they count, they get the count they like. And there's going to be a great suppression of concerns about that. And it's going to be up to the president to show leadership here. And as I said, they plan civil unrest. I'm concerned about violence on election day. I'm concerned about the left targeting polling locations or places where the votes are being counted. This is serious stuff. I pray it's otherwise, but... I think we should prepare for the worst. And um, so, and as I said earlier, uh, as I should say, I said a few weeks ago to you, I want you to check in with your local state and federal authorities, your local U.S. attorney, who is the federal U.S. attorney for your area, your state attorney general and your local district attorney, and find out who the point of contact is to report questions about voter fraud or allegations of voter fraud. And I'm not saying just call up and say, I, I think there's voter fraud. That's not... The, no, if you think something's wrong and you witness something or you're aware of voter fraud going on, you want to be able to communicate with someone and you want to be able you want people you know to be able to communicate with law enforcement about it. Find out who that person might be.
become a poll worker. It's not, it's not too late to become a poll worker to participate in the electoral process. That's one way for you to ensure that the elections are conducted fair and honestly. I mean, you have an obligation as a as a public as a uh, as an employee uh, or volunteer to make sure the the votes are counted fairly. I mean, what's frustrating to me is that I often feel like I'm the one defending Biden voters because Biden voters are more likely to vote by mail, and as a result, more likely to have their votes thrown out. So you have these leftists encouraging people to vote by mail, knowing their votes are going to be lost. I think that's awful. I want everyone's vote to count. Everyone's vote to count. But I want a system in place that's fair. I want the law to be observed. And I want there to be reasonable checks to make sure that fraud is not countenanced or encouraged. Don't even get me started on voter ID. Fifteen states have no voter ID, and they're big states. California, New York, I don't think Pennsylvania has voter ID. New Jersey, Massachusetts, I don't think Illinois has voter ID. I'm going off the top of my head, but you can check each your state. If you're, if you're listening to me or watching me, find out if your state has voter ID. And if it doesn't, demand to know why and ask that voter ID be instituted. It's probably too late for the election. But you're citizens and you you have a right to, to in the governance of your of your state to, to participate in the governance of your state if you're concerned about voter id find out what the voter id laws are now you may you may find your state has voter id but in many cases this voter id isn't even sufficient as best i can tell there are only 10 maybe 11 states i think it's probably only 10 now because virginia changed their law to weaken their id so uh, that have a strict voter ID requirement. But most other states, uh, even with voter ID, don't really have a strict requirement. And they basically allow anything to be an ID, which isn't gonna be helpful. And then secondly, you need citizenship verification, or I think we need citizenship verification to ensure that the tens of millions of aliens present in the United States, both lawfully and unlawfully, don't part vote in violation of the law. Because right now, the only check on that happening is um, the form that says, are you, you know, you have to certify you're a citizen when you register to vote. But no one checks that out. So don't we, don't, don't you think we need citizenship verification? And there's a study out of Old Dominion that shows that voters, uh, uh, aliens register to vote and vote in numbers uh, large enough to change the outcome of elections. And when you extrapolate the figures, the numbers are astonishing and they can change the outcome of an election. The Old Dominion study pointed out that changed the outcome of, the, of an election in Minnesota, potentially, that put a, a, a left-wing Democrat into office um, that turned out to be the key vote for many of Obama's initial proposals when he was first president, like Obamacare and, and the uh, stimulus, uh, the, the, craziness that he pushed through. So uh, there's a lot, I'm putting a lot on you because, uh, you know, Judicial Watch does what we can, but, you know, what we do also is educate you about what needs to be changed 
or what you might want to consider needs to be changed because I can't tell you what to think, right? All I can tell you is this is the this is the lay of the land, and how is it? Are you going to respond to it? If you're all right with it, you know, yes, you can go back to bed. But I have a feeling many of you aren't all right with it, and you want your votes to be protected. And in my view, voter fraud is a civil rights issue of our time. The left doesn't care about it. They hate it. They hate uh, the idea that uh, voters, votes be secure. And um, like I said, the only explanation I have for opposing voter ID, citizen verification, cleaning up the rolls, encouraging people to vote in person, they wanna be able to steal elections if necessary. And in my view, they're setting up the steal for 2020 and, uh, and beyond. And uh, they're using COVID as the pretext. So we're gonna fight where we can. We've got more lawsuits coming up, try to figure out what's happening and to clean up the rolls. And I'll tell you about them and they're filed, but uh, we're not resting on our laurels here at Judicial Watch as our uh, election system is under assault again by the same crowd that tried to uh, remove a president unlawfully, in my view, through the coup impeachment, same crowd that tried this, uh, that was spying on and pressuring and prosecuting uh, uh, Trump and his uh, team unlawfully and improperly. And now, uh, once again, uh, they're assaulting the Republic through this attack on election integrity. So uh, it's something that, uh, I'm going to keep on talking about, even if I get censored. You may just have to go to Judicial Watch's website to watch to to see all of our material on it, and that's one thing you should be keep in mind. If you if you say, "Wait, why isn't I? Why am I not seeing this topic on Tom Fitton's um, Twitter feed? Why am I not seeing this topic on Judicial Watch's YouTube page or Judicial Watch's Facebook page?" Go to our website. Maybe you'll find out why. Uh, but uh, they are prepared to censor us all. So we're, we're prepared to keep on talking uh, no matter uh, uh, the left-wing attempts to dis uh, destroy dissent from uh, their effort to undo our election systems. So um, speaking of which, we had some great news this week or within the last week. I don't remember exactly when it happened. But you may remember back in July, uh, Judicial Watch uncovered uh, and disclosed to you documents about uh, this outrageous anti-American uh, uh, racial separatist, anti, uh, completely racist program being run in the Pentagon uh, under the guise of um, you know, diversity training or whatever you want to call it. It's generally called critical race theory, which is essentially a, a communist theory dressed up with all this identity politics dressing around it. Uh, it's anti-American. It, it targets people based on race. If you're not a minority, you're assumed to be evil and need to be broken down and undone. And uh, if you're not in one of the so-called uh, protected classes that they're concerned about, you are presumed to be evil as well. So uh, it's it's a really, uh, you know, this cultural Marxist, anti-American, race-baiting, discriminatory training 
And it goes on all the time in the government. And it was going on in the Pentagon called teaching materials that by the, uh, they were teaching materials for uh, the Defense Equal Opportunity Management Initiative, which gets millions and millions of dollars. I think it was, a, they have a budget of uh, uh, $20 million between 2012 and 2017. The newly released records included a chapter entitled Power and Privilege, in which students are taught that privilege can also be linked to various forms of identity, such as sexual orientation privilege and religious privilege. The sexual orientation privilege is associated with the marginalization of non-heterosexual lifestyles and the view that heterosexuality is the normal sexual orientation. And this is, this is just classic Marxism. The guide advises that some dominant group members may claim personal achievement mostly uh, depends on personal ability. So under critical race theory, if you suggest that uh, traditional standards of success should be applied universally across uh, uh, races, creeds, and, and I guess gender identities or whatever the phrase of term of art is for the left these days, uh, you are part of the problem. Now I looked at it, so if you think that people should be uh, uh, expected to rely on their own intelligence to be successful, work hard to be successful. Uh, some of the really crazy types uh, say that uh, wearing a watch is racist because being on time is uh, anti-minority. I mean, isn't that so patronizing? But that's the way the left thinks. I mean, they pretend they're in favor of minorities, but they treat them like children and they have contempt for them as autonomous moral agents. Blessed by God. They treat them like some sort of marker or, or uh, piece to be moved around in their organization, their efforts to undo American society and they'll be tossed aside as soon as they're not needed. Uh, another activist over at the Discovery Institute, Mr. Rufo, uh, he uncovered additional um, critical theory training programs at um, one of the national laboratories. Uh, the CDC was planning to uh, engage, I think in some sort of craze 13 day or 13 week critical race theory program. <laughs> Even after the president found out about all this, because he saw one episode of on Tucker Carlson, well, I don't know if he saw it, but there was a lot of public pressure. Tucker Carlson carried, uh, covered it. Obviously, Judicial Watch has been pushing this issue for years. We've been seeing this garbage being pushed on federal employees. And of course, uh, the president wants to shut it down. So the left is outraged. Because you can have, I guess, diversity training where you remind people you can't make presumptions based on race or of the other protected categories. And that's, that's easy to do. But here it's a Marxist communist philosophy that's anti-American and targets people specifically, in this case, whites, as being evil because they're white or being privileged because they're white. 
Now, in any sense of the law, in my view, at least, that's anti, that's discriminatory, absolutely discriminatory. So not only should this should be shut down in the government, but corporations pushing this garbage, schools and higher, uh, and uh, uh, schools both for children and higher education pushing this critical race theory, they should also be held to account under law for pushing this discriminatory programs, for these uh, pushing these discriminatory programs. So if you have an entire HR program geared at attacking a particular race because they're seen as dominant, how does that comport with our laws related to anti-discrimination and equal opportunity? It doesn't. So if I were the president, I'd get the IRS on the ball, EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission on the ball, the Education Department on the ball, the Justice Department on the ball, to shut these discriminatory left-wing programs down because they're illegal. They're illegal under discrimination laws, anti-discrimination laws. And it's, and it's just getting worse and worse. Now you have mainstream publications capitalizing the word black and the word white in, just, in talking about racial characteristics. Blacks and whites with capital B and capital W. That's straight out of apartheid South Africa, that sort of nomenclature and style. But that's what the left wants. So they pretend to be care, caring about race, but they are the racialists. I hate the term racist because that presumes some sort of, you know, moral um, purpose or moral uh, judgment that, you know, I don't know if they're racist per se, but they're racialists, right? They want to categorize people by race, attack people by race, which is probably racist, as you as you well know. And they say they're opposed to segregation, but their entire political philosophy depends on segregation. And Judicial Watch has taken a step to uh, try to protect those. And if you stand against it on, especially on college campuses, and those of you who have kids and grandkids in college, you should know they are force-fed this stuff more often than not, unless you're uh, unless your child uh, unless they're blessed to go to a, a college that's sensible in areas like this. Judicial Watch working uh, and the legal ins uh, and the website um, web publication Legal Insurrection are investigating uh, university retaliation against a professor in um, the University of Central Florida. And uh, this professor uh, had the gall to question system, systemic racism, which is another anti-American smear. And look what happened to him. We, we asked for records about Professor Charles Nagy, N-E-G-Y, who was attacked by campus leftists and university administrators. I know the leftists always attack you if you get out of line on college campuses, especially if you're a professor. But the administration is really pernicious when they side on the when they come down on the side of the oppressors. 
Legal Insurrection wrote um, in August, after Nagy questioned claims of systemic racism and asserted, quote, black privilege is real, referring to affirmative action, there's been a university-wide pile on with Nagy alleging uh, UCF is soliciting complaints against him and conducting an abusive investigation in an effort to justify firing him. Firing him, the UCF student senate passed a resolution asking for Nagy's termination, and there were protests on campus and at Nagy's home. It didn't stop there, though. The University of Central Florida's president, Alexander Cartwright, participated in a campus protest against one of his professors and also took to social media attacking him. We do not tolerate hate speech. It must be unequivocally anti-racist in our words, actions, and online behavior. Whenever we find discrimination in our community, we will take decisive action to stamp it out. He called his views vile to the New York Times. So Nagy's worked for that university since 1998, and he's facing this type of attack based on his having the courage to stand against this radical left racialist or racist theory. So, uh, you know, uh, Bill Jacobson, who's president of the Legal Insurrection Foundation, he said the scourge of cancel culture won't be cured in a matter of days, weeks, or even months, but sunlight is the best disinfectant and we are committed to shining a light on the Nagy case and other cases as well. If I recall, Jacobson was also targeted by the campus left because he had, uh, because he was frankly just conservative. You know, and as I pointed out, freedom of speech is under attack at the very institutions that should be encouraging it. Intellectual discourse on college campuses has now been replaced by angry mobs trying to silence and end the careers of professors who don't want to uh, drink the Kool-Aid of the radical left. And it's got to stop. Not only do I think it's illegal in terms of discrimination, uh, but uh, uh, it just has to stop for the sake of the kids on the campuses. So unless you're a tenured radical, uh, Lord help you on college campuses these days. It's, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I encourage you to track legal insurrection. I encourage you to track our friends at Campus Reform, which also tracks this as well. And of course, Judicial Watch has been tracking this critical race theory and, and a lot of this on, on, our, uh, on our website at judicialwatch.org with many, many stories going back years and years on this, years and years on this. So we're proud to work with our friends at the Legal Insurrection Foundation uh, to, uh, uh, and maybe through this FOIA, maybe they'll think twice about continuing to punish, because you can imagine the process they have to target this guy. They're soliciting, uh, they basically put out of, tell us anything bad you have to say about this professor because we're after him. That's, that's the process they've got going on there right now against him, and it's really outrageous. Uh, so Judicial Watch uh, was in the news again this week because we were in the news last week, because we uncovered what is perhaps the biggest scandal of the modern, um, of the Justice Department in uh, the last three years or four years. 
I guess, other than the spying on Trump, other than the illegal prosecution of General Flynn. But here we have the Mueller team that was purported to be the, the enforcers of the rule of law, making sure that uh, President Trump wasn't a crook, right? Harassing him, investigating him, targeting others around him with absurd and overblown charges, in my view. And it turns out, as Judicial Watch uncovered, they've been caught erasing all their phones. We're 27 of them. We're 31, depends how you count, if they were erased or destroyed or whatever. But many of them, including two by Andrew Weissman, who is one of the infamous members of Mueller's team, were wiped because they put their passwords in too many times. Well, as you know, that's just baloney. If you're watching me, you probably never wiped your phone accidentally or even on purpose. One of the phones magically wiped themselves. Well, our revelations uh, caused a mini firestorm, but because uh, it's criminality by the Mueller team, the media is interested in covering much of it. If it were uh, President Trump and his team or uh, you know, anyone who's on the wrong side of the, dem uh, of the hard left, uh, they would have, you would have been talking about, we would have been hearing comparisons to Nixon. So uh, 27 phones wiped by the Mueller team is a yawner for the dishonest liberal media. But it isn't a yawner for the American people who are outraged by this. Uh, there's been a groundswell of outrage, uh, so much so that members of Congress have reacted. Uh, you had Senator Grassley and Senator Johnson uh, uh, file up and demand an investigation from the IG, wanting to know why the IG hadn't done anything on this, because this was these were essentially IG documents that documented that not only were these uh, phones white, but also that uh, Page and Strzok's phones were also similarly um, uh, either not turned in or uh, also were set, quote, to factory settings in the case of Lisa Page. So the IG had this information didn't do much anything about it. Doug Collins sent a letter to Apple, I guess it was Apple phones, asking, how, expl asking Apple to explain how it is you get the, how is it they phones get wiped with, uh, how is it Apple phones can get wiped? Because as you, um, as it's been made clear to me, is it's hard, the theory is you put in your password like 15 times in a row and it wipes you. Well, no one really ever does that. And Apple doesn't even make it, makes it hard to do it. You have to do it over a period of time or uh, they're kind of, you know, they're not gonna ruin their, their, client, their uh, customers' phones simply because they uh, put a password in once or twice incorrectly. So how, how is it done? And my point is that I don't know specifically, of course it doesn't make sense intellectually, but, uh, Senator, uh, excuse me, Congressman Collins is asking for details so that we have a clearer understanding of what was going on. And the big question is, where's the Justice Department? Where's Durham? Where's uh, Gen Attorney General Barr? I don't think he's made any comment on this yet. I mean, if, if I were him, I'd, 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 I'd be sending the FBI or the Marshal Service or an independent agency to the appropriate office in the Justice Department and have it raided. Who raids the Justice Department when there's obstruction of justice and destruction of evidence? I don't know. 
I'm sure they can find someone. Maybe they can bring in the Postal Inspector Service and all sorts of law enforcement agencies that, you know, Postal Inspectors are, they're not dumb. They do some good work. U.S. Marshal Service is within the Justice Department, but is has kind of an independent streak. DHS has investigators. The military has investigators. There's all sorts of investigators that can be dragooned. In my view, the president should dragoon them or de deploy them, to put it more correctly, uh, in uh, to investigate this scandal. Because this is destruction of evidence and potential obstruction of justice. We know it's destruction of evidence. The question is, was it purposeful or not? And the evidence suggests it was, which would make it a crime. And um, so we have to keep on pushing for it. And the frustrating thing is that the, this same Justice Department is defending the indefensible with Hillary Clinton, as I've been discussing with you, slow walking the release of documents about the same group especially Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. Now, so what's gonna happen with Durham? I don't know. I still don't think much is gonna happen. Uh, Peter Strzok was asked by CBS News the other day uh, whether he was a target and refused uh, of the invest Durham investigation and refused to answer the question. Um, so maybe he is a target, I don't know. Maybe Peter Strzok gets indicted, I don't know. But you had all these uh, deposition subpoenas issued by uh, Senator Johnson, This, uh, or at least they were authorized by Senator Johnson and uh, Senator Lindsey Graham at the Judiciary Committee is uh, bringing in people, including, I think, James Comey. And my view is they wouldn't be inviting or deposing these people if they were at serious risk of prosecution. I mean, what happens is the Justice Department makes a phone call, Senator Graham and Attorney General Barr get on the phone and Barr says, hey, look, you know, you can't be bringing a Comey in. We're just about to indict him. And it wouldn't happen. And uh, the fact that it's happening suggests that Durham isn't going to do anything much against these uh, key people, if even the lower level people like Strzok. Not that Strzok wasn't key, but he was, uh, let's say, one, I would say he was one, two, three, he was four levels down the level three, two, and one people, they're not gonna get indicted. I just don't see it happening. And if it doesn't happen, the president should appoint a special counsel. Because uh, in my view, the failure to indict or prosecute these folks for what went on would be a improper political decision. It's not a law and order decision, it would be a political decision. And frankly, if they're gonna be making political, they're not, we shouldn't have a U.S. attorney making a political decision like of that import. They should have import for input, input from, yes, the president of the United States. Because that's the only way things are going to get done. The president's got to take a, take control of this investigation. Justice Department can't investigate itself. It just can't. And we're expecting it to do. We're expecting it to do uh, to do that. And we're always disappointed. And I'm telling you, it's, it's inevitable that you're going to be disappointed because you're having the agency investigate itself. That's why I've been calling for separate investigations and that's why Judicial Watch exists. So we can provide as best we're able to the oversight. As I said, 
we wouldn't know anything about these wipe phones but for Judicial Watch. It'd still be covered up. So I'll keep you updated on that as the weeks go on. Uh, so when uh, speaking of doing uh, the oversight that others refuse to do, uh, Judicial Watch obtained um, actually only three pages of records from the State Department in response to a lawsuit we filed in January of this year seeking records of communications from the U.S. Embassy in Kiev mentioning Burisma. So it was a really simple lawsuit. Give us documents about Burisma. So needless to say, they've been slow walking the release of the documents and they gave us emails that I think some of which may have been previously reported on or were given to uh, Citizens United, which is another conservative group that sometimes, uh, that does a lot of good FOIA work as well. Uh, Dave Bossie runs it. Uh, but the email was sent four days prior to the inauguration of President Trump to a redacted recipient and CC to Ambassador Yovanovitch. And it was sent by uh, uh, George Kent, who was a top um, uh, uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State in charge of Ukraine. So he was Obama's guy there. And the email was sent four days, I said, beforehand, uh, before Trump came in with the subject line, Medvedchuk linked Vesti trolls Biden. Uh, and that's a uh, left, and that means it's, uh, that translates, not literally, but he's referencing a Russia linked uh, publication, trolling Biden. What are they trolling Biden on the Russians? Burisma, gift that keeps on giving. With Medvedchuk affiliated Vesti pushing the troll-like storyline on visit day. So Biden was there or about to be there in Ukraine and the Russians are laughing and making fun of him because of his business, his son's business dealings in Ukraine. Remember Joe Biden's son Hunter served on the board of Burisma despite having no previous experience in the industry, energy industry. It was pretty clear he was given that job based on his name and as part of, you know, everyone wants insurance, right? We talked about the insurance policy between, against President Trump. Well, they had insurance policy to protect themselves in Burit from investigation by having the son of the man who was uh, on point for Obama on Ukraine corruption, Joe Biden. And of course, Joe Biden infamously admitted to uh, forcing out by threat of withholding with, Joe, with Obama's acquiescence, a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine, forcing out the uh, an, a, a state prosecutor that was coincidentally, coincidentally, looking at Burisma. And of course, George Kent uh, or, um, and Yovanovitch were anti-Trump witnesses during the impeachment. In fact, uh, what I always thought was interesting about the coup impeachment is that much of the testimony, or I shouldn't say much of the testimony, the testimony showed that the Obama just State Department and White House were both worried about Burisma and Joe Biden. So not only was President Trump right to raise questions about it, others in the Obama administration had raised questions about it. A congressman questioned Kent at the hearing. Okay, this is what the congressman asked. Okay, but you know Hunter Biden's role in Burisma's board of directors. At some point you testified in your deposition that you expressed some concerns to the vice president's office. Is that correct? That is correct. 
And what did they do about the concern you expressed? I have no idea. I reported my concern to the Office of Vice President. So this new email shows that, uh, let me go back to the email. The email again shows that, uh, that Burisma is the gift that keeps on giving. That shows that they had a longstanding issue with Burisma, right? I mean, it indicates that they've talked about it before. So we have an email showing the Obama State Department had a longstanding concern about the Burisma issue as it relates to Joe Biden and his son Hunter. And, uh, and how the Burisma's involvement with the Biden family and uh, how it implicated Joe Biden was a undermining US policy in Ukraine. It gave the Russians a way to, to beat up Joe Biden. I mean, let's say Joe Biden's there in Ukraine for all the right reasons, to contact corrupt, to, to, uh, under, uh, to battle corruption. I don't know, I'm more interested in battling corruption here at home, but that's another matter. He'll like self-physician, right? And how can he credibly do that when his son has a make-work position on the board of a corrupt company in Ukraine? It's a joke, and the Russians are making it a joke. And the next question I have for you is, why are you only hearing about this from me? Joe Biden's running for the president. The media doesn't want to cover any of this. Burisma, Ukraine, all of that's gone down the memory hole. All that's gone down the memory hole. Well, Judicial Watch is going to be your source for truth. It's not because we uh, tell you not to vote for Joe Biden or we oppose Joe Biden on policy or any other reason. It's because we have this information about government corruption that's been largely unchecked and covered up and was the basis for um, the cover-up of which led to the impeachment coup of Trump. I mean, they were attacking our constitutional system to cover up this corruption. So this is a big issue for Judicial Watch. And we're going to kick it or we're going to keep on kicking it kicking the rocks, whatever the metaphor is, whether or not Joe Biden wins. Because this is what's behind the coup. This is what's behind Obamagate in part. We're not giving up. Dura may give up. Barr may give up. Judicial Watch won't give up. We are relentless and we're able to be relentless because we have your support. So before I go, I'm going to encourage you to support Judicial Watch again. That's one of the things I don't do enough on our show or on our weekly update. I hate to call it a show. Are you supporting Judicial Watch? Do you like what you're hearing? Do you want to see more of these documents come out? Do you want some accountability here in Washington, D.C.? Then I encourage you to support our work. If you're already supporting it, thank you. You can go to our website at judicialwatch.org. You can give us a donation. You can buy stuff, which also supports us. Uh, I'd be remiss if I don't talk about our, our book coming out. I'm all, I've authored a book for Judicial Watch, our Republic, uh, A Republic Under Assault. It comes out on October 20th, so go to judicialwatchbook.com and you can uh, pre-order it. And that book is more important than any book by Woodward. 
and it's a way you can also support Judicial Watch. So I encourage you to purchase the book. So uh, if you like what you're hearing, support Judicial Watch, but either way, we are gonna keep on working for you, the American people, to drain the swamp. Thank you, and I'll see you next week on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.